The Leach Report Radio Network is on the air with the voice of the Wildcats, Tom Leach. This is where the Big Blue Nation comes for the latest news and views on the Cats. Interact with the show now by tweeting at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. Call us at 877-904-1080. Now, the voice of your Wildcats, Tom Leach. Good morning, everybody. Dick Gabriel sitting in for The Voice, and we are just a few days away from Kentucky LSU. Wildcats looking to regain and recapture the kind of magic they had last Saturday in the upset win over Florida, although this time Kentucky is the favorite, the favorite playing at home against an LSU team that is beleaguered right now and under fire, especially head coach Ed Orgeron, so a lot to talk about today. Also, Basketball is almost here. Of course, you've got the blue-white game coming up. Big soccer match tonight. We'll talk about all of that over the next hour. Guest today, as always on Wednesday, Chris Fisher of 247 Sports and Kyle Tucker of The Athletic, who was there on Saturday when the Wildcats knocked off those Florida Gators. So, as I said, much to talk about, and this LSU game is a sellout. 7.30 p.m. kick, likely tickets available in and around the stadium. Uh, there were just a few empty seats when Florida came to town, but not many. So every once in a while, you can find one out there. You might have to pay a little extra if you know what I'm saying. But uh, they are reminding everybody to uh, be safe and make sure that you've got a proper ticket. You can try the Ticketmaster official resale marketplace and try to get yourself a ticket that way. Uh, you could also call the UK ticket office just to be sure. But be careful about buying tickets through other outlets and, of course, buying tickets out on the sidewalk. So if you want more information, UKAthletics.com backslash ticket security. Everybody knows that once in a while somebody gets burned. Just make sure that that is not you. Reminder, and, and I know you've heard about this and people have talked about it, that you've got uh, Keeneland's Fall Meet opening weekend so traffic of course will be affected especially if you're coming over from louisville or anywhere up the interstate so give yourself extra time and i live right down the street from the stadium quite frankly and i gave myself last week an extra hour to negotiate traffic both in my car and on foot and I suspect we will have a similar crowd. you got to hope they reach that same intensity level, but uh, that's going to be tough to do. But still, though, it's going to be a big crowd, a gate, uh, big crowd, and a fun crowd, and uh, gates are going to be swarming. So uh, get there as soon as you can. Of course, SEC Nation is going to be broadcasting from campus, from the Young Library, from 10 to noon. So some people will just get there at 10 a.m. and make a day out of it. So, uh, yeah, try to get there, they say, about an hour early if you can, because Marty and McGee will broadcast from 9 to 10 live on Saturday. And, by the way, the Fine Bomb Show is going to be there uh, Friday from 3 to 7. Catwalk, 515, Gate 1, as always, along Talbot Todd Way at Gate 12. Other U.K. headlines for you. The uh, volleyball team, of course, is playing tonight. And the Wildcats will toss it at 6 o'clock, taking on Mississippi State. That's going to be on ESPNU, ESPN3, 
and the ESPN app with Sam Gore and Jennifer Fowler. Wildcats, of course, are still looking for that fifth consecutive SEC championship. Wouldn't that be something? So, uh, Wildcats, Mississippi State, coming up tonight at 6 o'clock. And a reminder, blue-white tickets are available Coming up on Thursday, you got to go through Ticketmaster, Ticketmaster.com. They go on sale at 5 p.m., prices ranging from $5 to $25. All seating reserved, all patrons require a ticket regardless of age. Those are the Wildcat News headlines of the day presented by Giuseppe's. Check out the new climate-controlled patio and the drive through window for orders to go. Coming up next from the Clark's Pump and Shop studio, We will chat with Chris Fisher, and we will talk Kentucky sports with him when we come back on the Leach Report served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. You're tuned to Talk Radio 1080 and the Leach Report. And visit TomLeachKY.com for more news and views on the Cats. Gabriel in for the voice, and now here on the Leach Report, coming to you on the DrinkSword.com hotline, is Mr. Chris Fisher, who joins Tom each and every Wednesday. Uh, he is, of course, part of the 247 Network, and uh, you can see his work, among other places, uh, at CatsPaws.com, which now is 247Sports.com. How are you doing this morning, Mr. Fisher? I'm doing excellent. You are uh, something of a specialist when it comes to basketball recruiting, but you've been writing some football stories as well of late and, uh, of course, about this successful Kentucky team. Let me kind of melt uh, the the, the recruiting beat and the football beat, first of all. Uh, Chris, when the nation sees a, a win over Florida and specifically students overrunning the field like that, uh, that has got to be one powerful message to recruits, and I, I specifically think of the 07 upset of LSU, the number one team in the country. I had coaches from the, the so-called minor sports, the Olympic sports, tell me they had recruits commit that night after seeing that game on TV. So tell me a little bit about the impact it has on recruiting in general. Yeah, I mean, when you look at Mark Stoops' success on the recruiting trail, they were having – really good recruiting classes before they started winning. And so I think that's what Mark Stoops and Vince Merrill have been selling recruits on uh, the last couple of years is, hey, wait till we start winning and, and look at what these recruiting classes are going to look like. And I think uh, even before uh, this season, even before Saturday's win over Florida, I think was, I think Kentucky was well on its way to the best recruiting class in the Mark Soups era. I think this one's on pace to finish in the top 25 nationally. I think you have uh, a couple of real difference makers in Keontae Goodwin and uh, the Wade twins, et cetera. And, uh, and this win, this start, uh, the momentum, the national attention, uh, the atmosphere at Kroger Field on Saturday night with some of the high-level recruits in attendance uh, is only going to – to build on that. And so uh, you're seeing Kentucky's name attached to some really elite prospects that have very extensive uh, and high-profile offer sheets. And uh, this is going to get Kentucky in the door with um, uh, even more uh, elite recruits. You look at a Wandale Robinson, um, 
those are the difference makers that Mark Stoops talks about, the guys that, as he says, changes the, the digits on the scoreboard. And you could tell after that win he was really beating the drum for – uh, playmakers at wide receiver. Yep. And so, and that's one of the, the things I think that Kentucky, uh, for all its success has been missing in recent years. You had Lynn Bowden, but he had to make the switch to, uh, to quarterback in an emergency situation that obviously worked out pretty well for everyone involved. But, uh, that elite playmaker at wide receiver, I think is the position that Kentucky's really been lacking and, and still needs some help in. Yeah, the, the video, as I said, is huge. And then you've got some big-name analysts, Chris, who are singling out Mark Stoops on national television. Yeah, Kirk, uh, Kirk Herbstreet, um, fellow Ohio native with Mark Stoops, uh, named him his national coach of the week after win over Florida. And then uh, Gene Chizik on the SEC Network, you know, basically went to bat for Mark Stoops and called him one of the best coaches in the country. He said, if you don't think he's one of the best coaches in the country, your head is in is in the sand. And it's really, to me, it still feels surreal what Mark Stoops has been able to accomplish yeah. at Kentucky. Not just, you know, the wins and the losses, but the culture that he has built at Kentucky, the identity and, and the way he's gone about it. I thought for Kentucky to have success in the SEC, you had to take the Mississippi State approach. You had to hire a Mike Leach. You had to throw it 60 times. You had to have a gimmicky offense. Yeah. But Mark Stoops has recruited well along the offensive line, the defensive line. And one of the things I admire most about Mark Stoops and his tenure at Kentucky is the consistency. You know what you're going to get from this team year in and year out. They're going to play really good defense. They're going to be really sound. Uh, they're going to run the ball. They're going to be good on the offensive line. And then the rest kind of just depends on, you know, the personnel. But I do think hiring Liam Cohen, uh, some of the recruiting, uh, John Settle coming in, the changes they've made offensively is what can take this program to, uh, to yet another level. I, I'm glad you brought that up because Mark Stoops and Rich Brooks are very friendly. Uh, they, they respect and admire each other. And obviously, Stoops knows what Brooks did here, and he knows uh, of Rich Brooks's pedigree. But he also appreciated appreciates the way Brooks got it done here at Kentucky. And the, the vice versa is absolutely true. Brooks recognized early that that Stoops is is like he is a guy who has a, you know the way he's going to do it. He believes it's the right way. And he's not going to uh, stray from that. And you're right. It, it, it seems like this has suddenly happened, Chris. And yet, it, you know, what is it, nine, ten years he's been here. Uh, we covered some really bad Mark Stoops teams and some teams that let bowl bids get away. And then finally teams that start getting to bowl games. So it's been gradual. But I guess when the success gets here, it just seems like it's all so, so new. But he's been building to this, hasn't he? Yeah, and to me, Mark, uh, Rich Brooks and Mark Soups are similar uh, in the regard that they both took over what were really decimated oh, yeah. Kentucky football programs. Rich Brooks, uh, you know, obviously it was the NCAA sanctions, the scholarship limitations, and those kind of things, and it took to him a, a, a while to, uh, to you know get over the hump and kind of get back to zero. Mark Stoops took over a Kentucky program that was just it, it was it was it was a talent it was the lack of talent yeah. in that program that he inherited and you know i heard 
some coaches, you know, say that it was Mac level talent when Mark Stoops took over the program in, in 2012. And so it took a while for him to build that up. And I think in, in both guys, you're talking about two, two coaches that are very resilient, very gritty, very hard nosed, very, um, you know, very strong work ethics. And, and both of those guys that I think the key element in all this is they got the time to do yes. it. You don't always see coaches allowed uh, the time to get things turned around. There was a point where Rich Brooks could have very easily been fired. There was a point uh, where Mark Stoops was starting to feel the heat a little bit and and turn things around. And so those are two coaches that were able to uh, that were allowed the the time by uh, by Mitch Barnhart to to get things turned around and and it paid off. Talking to Chris Fisher, when we come back, we'll shift over to basketball. Dick Gabriel in for Tom Leach on the Leach Report, served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. Look for the Leach Report on Facebook. Show updates, contests, and other cool stuff. Check it out today. Dick Gabriel in for Tom Leach, coming to you from the Clark's Pump and Shop studio. Here on the Leach Report, chatting with Chris Fisher of 247 Sports and the Cats Paws. And, Chris, this is basketball-football overlap time, and I know football fans get a little frustrated when people start talking basketball. But you do need to point out that, you know, blue-white tickets are upcoming and madness and all that. And uh, have you heard much chatter from Kentucky fans? Or I guess what I should better ask is what kind of chatter have you been hearing? Because I, I've, I've been hearing from fans who are – really fascinated by the level and depth of experience on this Kentucky team, even though a lot of these guys have most of their experience, all of their experience in a different uniform. But this will be unlike a Calipari team we've ever seen. Yeah, definitely. The The experience dynamic, I think, is 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 wholly different than what we're used to seeing from John Cuthbert, who's typically relied on you know freshmen to to get the job done. But I think after the the debacle of last season, and I could write a thesis on everything that uh, that went into uh, that nine and sixteen record. But yeah. I think John Calipari wanted to get old and get old very quickly, and uh, he was able to take advantage of a booming uh, transfer portal. And to be honest, there weren't a lot of you know quality prospects left in the twenty twenty one class. Ty Ty Washington was out there; he was able to get him. I think he's going to be a real difference maker for Kentucky at, uh, at you know one of those combo guard slots but uh, when you look at the production for next season it's going to be a lot of guys that have been around the block Jacob Toppin and, and you know Keon Brooks uh, at Kentucky and then you have the the four transfers and Kellen Grady and CJ Frederick Severe Wheeler Oscar Shibway all of those guys have played college basketball and played it at a, a really really high level and so um, next year's team will be entirely juxtaposed to last season's team. They're going to be able to shoot. They're going to be able to drive and kick. And uh, John Calipari talked about playing four out, which will be a, yeah. a really uh, refreshing dynamic in some regards. He's used to been to playing that uh, you know too big uh, look that I think fans were getting a little bit uh, uh, weary of. So um, it'll be a, a new look offense, a new look team, and with the experience, I think you're not going to see that learning curve that we're used to seeing with some of John Calipari's younger teams, especially early in the season. You mentioned the transfer portal, and you've covered recruiting for a long time. How, if at all, has the transfer portal affected 
recruiting of the high school kids, the AAU kids, uh, or has it affected it at all? Yeah, I, I think you're seeing a lot of the top prospects make decisions earlier uh, in the process. We've seen that with Shaden Sharp and Chris Livingston. Those are two guys that committed to Kentucky early on that, you know, most recruiting cycles would probably have waited until the spring to see how the rosters played out and things like that. But with the transfer portal and knowing coaches can, you know, hit the transfer market in the spring, uh, address their needs that way and, and take a spot, kids are, you know, they're taking their ticket and they're getting on the bus. And so I think we've seen that uh, not just at Kentucky, but across college basketball in the, in the early signing period, most of these elite level recruits are going to be off the board. And so uh, when you talk about Kentucky missing on Derek Lively, they're in the mix with a uh, five-star center at Dean Bona. They're kind of neck and neck with UCLA right now. If they were to miss on him, it's not as big of a deal because you can go into the transfer portal in the spring and pluck a guy from another team and, and, and plug him in and, and play him next season. And so it's it's obviously had a, a huge impact for sure. You mentioned Bona and UCLA, and i got to think that, of course, the, the NCAA tournament appearance last year has really boosted and bolstered uh, UCLA's recruiting juice out there. Uh, do you Are you optimistic about Kentucky in, in that race, or do you think UCLA has a leg up? What do we know? Uh, I think the official visit to Kentucky over the weekend uh, stopped the bleeding, so to speak, and, and was able to halt some of the momentum that UCLA had, had built in, in recent weeks. But it's going to be tight, and, and it's going to go down to the wire. He'll take an official visit to UCLA later this month, and I think it'll come down to one of those two schools. I think he likes Mick Cronin. I think he likes kind of that hard-nosed you know, yeah. coaching style, I think, um uh, and they've they've really recruited him hard while you know Kentucky was focused on Derek Lively there for a little bit. So I think he appreciates that. But again, I think Kentucky was able to halt some of that momentum and kind of get back into the the thick of things. And we'll see how it plays out over the next couple of weeks. So he was in over the weekend. If you're a Kentucky fan, you got to hope that he got a kick out of the the football game. But I guess, like you said, we'll find out soon enough. Chris, thank you so much. Always a pleasure chatting with you. Have a great day. All right, you bet. Take care. Have a good one. Chris Fisher, uh, you can follow him on Twitter, at ChrisFisher247. Coming up, Kyle Tucker of The Athletic. Coming to you from the Clark's Pump and Shop studio, it is the Leach Report. This is where the Big Blue Nation gathers. It's Talk Radio 1080 and the Leach Report, followed by Kentucky Sports Radio. Welcome back to the Leach Report. Dick Gabriel for The Voice, coming to you from the Clark's Pump and Shop studio. And as always on Wednesday, Mr. Leach chats with Kyle Tucker from The Athletic. And he is with us on the DrinkSword.com hotline. Good morning, Mr. Tucker. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. How are you? I'm well. Thank you very much. And uh, first of all, I wanted to congratulate you again. I did so on Twitter. But uh, the piece you did on Wandale Robinson and his dad, I thought, was was just terrific. And uh, I, I did a TV piece on his uncle, Ronnie Robinson, some years ago. Another guy who ran afoul of the law but turned his life around and became a terrific uh, Division II running back. Um, did that piece turn out, Kyle, the way you had hoped? 
Yeah, I was I was really happy with it. Um, it was funny uh, the day it ran. Dale Wandale's dad, um, who if, if anybody doesn't know yet, I think most people do now, is like a huge, massive bodybuilder guy, and obviously uh, spent some uh, some time in prison. He's he's got an incredible life now and has really turned it around. But that's a big part of that story. He called me that morning, and he was like, "Hey." Why the why, why the bleep did you put that in the story? And just like that's how he when I when I answered the phone, that's how he uh, introduced himself that morning. Nice. And I was like, my heart sunk, and I was like, oh my god, <laughs> like what did I do? And he was like, I'm just messing with you. It was really good. Um, so it was funny. And then I saw him after they beat Florida um, on Saturday night, and he was like telling everybody around him how funny it was, how scared I sounded on the phone when he. Uh, when he called me up. So they're, they're good people. It's a great story. And, uh, and Wandell is, you know, he's the real deal. Oh my gosh. There's no question about that. And he had a huge play in that win over Florida. And I know you covered it and, uh, you talked to some of the fans who were on the field and Morgan Newton, the former Kentucky quarterback, uh, posted an interesting take on Twitter this morning when he said, you know, should they have stormed the field you know he said kentucky was better than florida and of course people chimed in right away saying hey man since 1986 we've been waiting to be florida here so i, I think even though it cost him a quarter of a million dollars kyle i think that they'll consider it money well spent yeah i don't i i don't uh you know i don't base whether you should do that on like that whole notion of like well we're just better than them and we should right. just act like we've been there before like act you you can act like you've been there before if you've actually been there before. <laughs> I mean, they've never been there before. And, and people have been, I would just say, too, to Morgan, like there's a lot of fans that have been waiting a long time to celebrate watching Kentucky beat Florida mm-hmm. in Lexington. Um, and, you know, there are there are 35-year-old people who had not, had not happened in their lifetime. That's right. Um, and there have been so many. The other, the other piece of what, why what happened happened, the why, why the, the crowd was the way it was all night, which was terrific. I mean, when you think about eight false start penalties on one team, um, the crowd obviously had a major impact. And, and that, so the reason I think they were the way they were, uh, and I think the reason they stormed the field with such vigor and and that celebration was so, um, you know, passionate, is because it had they gotten so close in these last you know yes. six years, you know, you, you dropped a touchdown pass um, six year you know six years ago, you drop a touchdown pass in a game you lose by five, and that was one that wasn't even when you really thought you were on That's equal right. footing with Florida, but then you know you you blow two touchdown. Lead, you know, two score leads in each of the last two home games in the fourth quarter, and on one you still get yourself in position after leaving two wide receivers open. You still get yourself in position to kick a field goal and a holding penalty, um, make pushes you out of range. And then you got you're down one with a minute to go, and you kick a 35 yard field goal. Surely you're going to make that right, and you don't. And there were just so many all I mean like agonizingly close moments to beating Florida before now in Lexington. That I think it was just this like cathartic group, um, you know, um, therapy session. Yeah, big <laughs> hug on the field. Big group hug. No question yeah. about that. Uh, but it's also interesting, Kyle, that uh, it took that win 
to really give Kentucky more cred. And I guess it's because the the UT Chattanooga game was nothing to watch. And the South Carolina was a grinded out. I mean, any win on the road, as you know, in the conference is a good one. Uh, and sometimes the lack of uh, offensive firepower, I think, sort of distracts from a great defensive effort that you saw both against South Carolina and Florida. But it wasn't until the Florida win that the pollsters took notice. But, boy, did they take notice in a big way this week, didn't they? Yeah, you go from unranked and, like, what you, I think in the AP they were like the total voting was like 31st or 32nd and then jump up to 16th. So you, yeah. you've, you've made a massive leap. And I think, obviously, I think now the opportunity that is in front of Kentucky is People believe a little bit more after they beat Florida, but if you back up Florida and beat LSU, even yep. if we think LSU is is not you know a typical LSU right now, then you know they might you might jump up into the top ten because I, I think uh, you know people like like new like like I think voters like to see new teams rise up. I mean, you know, fell in love with Coastal Carolina and others like that. Mm-hmm. As long as you show them something, you know, and and w- sometimes that's a moving target and people get frustrated with it. Um, but I think if you beat Florida back to back and you're six and zero, and you're going to Georgia and you're setting up that matchup, you know you're gonna you're gonna have a there's gonna be a lot more people talking about you. I mean, before they beat Florida, I think this Kentucky team was most well known for weird things that Will Levis was eating, you know, <laughs> uh, but a, an unpeeled banana. Uh, now uh, coffee with mayonnaise in it. Uh, you know, I think you ought to try to eat an orange whole. Uh, next, because I don't think that anybody recommends that. Like, I know that supposedly there's science that says you should eat the banana peel. I think it's horrific, um, unless you're blending it up in a smoothie. But, like, right. can, a, can a person eat an orange with a peel? I don't know. Is it, Maybe there's somebody that will immediately say that that's something you're supposed to do. Uh, but I cannot see... Uh, I cannot see how anybody could get down an entire orange unpeeled. So I think that should be his next trick. If he can do that, uh, I think I think the guy can do anything. You throw him down. But... That's what they were, you know, I don't think Kentucky on a national level right. had gotten much attention for anything other than, like, viral video things. Yeah. Uh, and now you, you've got this marquee win. Uh, you do have this incredible defensive performance. You know, you had that anytime you block a kick and run it back, that's a, that's a highlight that is really sure. exciting. And then I think what Wandell, what, what Wandell Robinson did on that first touchdown oh my gosh. is one of the most impressive plays, not to forget – uh, Cavassier smokes incredible block on yes. it, but the, just the the smoothness with which Wandale made everybody on that defense miss. That all, I think stuff like that also makes people sit yeah. up and and take notice because it's like, whoa, that's a dude right there. Like that's what you <laughs> see from those are the kind of players and plays you see from high level teams, and yeah. and Kentucky has one of those guys now. You've thrown down a heck of a gauntlet with that orange. We need to follow up on that. And we will follow up with more from Kyle Tucker when we come back. You're listening to the Leach Report served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. This is the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. You can interact with the show via Twitter at Leach Report. Now, here's Tom. Dick Gabriel in for The Voice, coming to you from the Clark's Pump and Shop studio, chatting with Kyle Tucker of The Athletic, who, of course, covered the Wildcats' win over those Florida Gators Saturday night. And now, Kyle, you've got an LSU team coming in that, in, in more ways than one, is really back up against that proverbial wall, <clears throat> perhaps playing for the job of his coach. And who thought we'd see this, you know, 
two and a half years ago when LSU was winning a national title. Yeah, it, uh, it, it reminds you how how quickly, no matter what level of success you get to, how quickly it can vanish on you, um, which, you know, I would say relative to expectations in history, the level of success that, that Stoops and his staff have maintained, you know, going on six years now, um, uh, it makes it makes that more impressive because, you know, there are definitely programs that, and coaches that can jump up and have a year um, and I think, I think what, you know, what the follow up, you know, when you lose all your quarterbacks and you, and you go to Lynn Bowden with, and win eight games, um, the year after you win 10, we're talking about LSU get the game being a, a, you know, validating the Florida win. You know, I think that season after the 10 win season validated the 10 win season sure. that they were, you know, wasn't a fluke. And I think being able to do it again so soon after, you know, last year was a little bit of a blip with COVID and everything and the all SEC schedule and, they had guys wiped out, and they still win a bowl game. Um, but then to, to go come right back to this level this season, I think that is all validated uh, that it's not a fluke and it's not a you know that this is a, a real a real program that they've built and sustained at a high level. And so, um, but yeah, now, now here comes LSU, and they are they are against the wall. I think they are um, clearly not as good as they've been. And I think that's a, that almost puts a little more pressure on Kentucky. I, I do feel like there is a level of pressure, a level of ex- expectation now to get it done. Um, and that's a little bit dangerous because, you know, is there, you know, do you have a letdown after such a big win? Do you, do you feel too much pressure now that, you know, with every win, expectations rise? Um, and then you get a, a kind of a desperate team that, make no mistake, I, I don't even need to know anything about the roster to know that there's going to be a bunch of four and five star guys on <laughs> on any given LSU team. They're going to have yeah. a bunch of really talented, really fast guys, sure. um, you know, and that's that can be dangerous. But uh, I think Va- Las Vegas told us uh, when the odds came out, like pe- people people everywhere believe Kentucky is better and should win this game. Yeah, no question about that, and uh, it, it's just interesting how the script has flipped. And to your point about building a program, I, I've it's, I've lost track of the number of coaches who have made it a point to mention when they talked about Kentucky the fact that the administration there, whether they mention Barnhart by name or just say it, have given the coach time it takes. But LSU is, is an odd situation, Kyle, as you know, because of tradition down there, the demands of the fan base. And when you win a national title, ask Tubby Smith about this. You win a national title your first year, and, and the, the storyline changes, doesn't it? Yeah, and it wasn't, uh, it wasn't O's first year, but it was early. And, you know, they were so dominant. I mean, the, the, the thing is, they were the dominant team yeah. in college football yeah. i mean just like breathtaking level of dominance with joe burrow and that group and then it was like fall off a cliff um and so you know i i definitely think that the expectation at lsu in the fan base and the administration um is to be alabama you know to be neck and neck with alabama that they that they would go toe-to-toe and that would be a you know an annual battle i you know the fact that Nick Saban has basically been able to own <laughs> LSU continuously um, is pretty staggering. I mean, LSU is not some, you know, uh, up-and-comer. You know, they've won, 
they've won national titles three, you know, in the 2000s. And, and the talent base, I mean, you talk about you being able to just root, recruit your state, you know, they're the only major program in the state of Louisiana, which is just absolutely loaded with, with talent. Um, you know, you've got this beautiful state. I mean, I love Tiger Stadium. I yeah. love going to Baton Rouge. I, I love their fans. Um, I love, nobody tailgates better than those guys. I actually went down there when Virginia Tech played them there one year and, and spent a few days and wrote a bunch about just the, about the culture of the, you know, the fan base and around the, everything around that program. Um, it, it's amazing. And, and, you know, you got your, they've got like a $5 million habitat for their live mascot, um, <laughs> there in the shadow of the stadium. That kind of support, that kind of, um, infrastructure does not allow for you to fail. You know, you're, you if you fail and you fail, you know, for any any extended period of time, they want you out of there. Yeah, I don't know what I was thinking first season. I think it was like his third or whatever, but still uh, the standards are so high down there. Like you said, they've, you've got everything you need, plus you've got that fertile recruiting territory. Uh, so that just makes the, the Kentucky story even, even more fascinating, I think. Uh, one more quick question for you. What are your thoughts on Will Levis, and not just his, his culinary challenges, but the way he's been playing. Uh, you know, he's excited everybody. We know he's got a big arm, but he has got some inconsistency going on. Should Kentucky fans, how concerned should they be about Will Levis, if at all? Yeah, more, more challenging for him right now than trying to eat an unpeeled orange would be, <laughs> I think, hit the, hit, the, hit the intermediate path, you know, Show a little touch. Show you know. Show a little accuracy on something other than the you know fifty yard yeah. heave down the field. Um, you know, and they got to get that fixed. I, I think it was the one question about Will when he was at Penn State and coming to Kentucky. Could he dial in the accuracy? And I mean, I think they were really impressed in the preseason, in the in the early season that. You know that he had done a lot of me. Worked with a biomechanical expert, uh, and still does, I think, um, to dial in some of that accuracy. But part of the problem is like you, you learn what you learn. Um, you know, your body learns uh, over the period of your life. You know how it's going to move. And I think when when athletes try to make big corrections to that, or even small ones, to sort of muscle memory, it just takes a long time. And yeah. and and coaches talk about this all the time. In crisis, you know, when when the when the stuff hits the fan, you go back to what you know. You revert back to just sort of that muscle memory. What is the deepest ingrained muscle memory? Um, and and so I think we've some of that is what we're seeing. You know, he 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 did all the work to try to dial that in. But when when Florida's coming at you, yeah, you know, crashing down on you, you you just kind of go with what you what your body knows more than what your brain is telling it. And so. That'll be interesting to see if he can course correct a little bit over the, you know, over this back half of the season. But that's that's a, a major thing they've got to figure out. I think part of it too, and, and Liam Cohen's learning too. I mean, this is his first time, you know, at this level as a play caller. And you know, how does he how does he get Will comfortable? You know, I, I, I'm not sure he shouldn't get him running early because yeah. I think. I think he seems to thrive on getting popped a little bit and getting a lower shoulder and be physical. That's a little bit scary to sort of actively you know want your quarterback to do that, but he's, right. he's put together. He can take it, and I think you know there may be some of that. Like let him get his stick his nose in there and kind of get get everything, get the adrenaline out. 
um, early. They talk about him being kind of wound tight for these games. Let him, let him, you know, take a couple shots uh, or deliver a couple shots, um, and then you know, find some plays that he's ultra, you know, comfortable with that aren't fifty-yard bombs where it's a you know fifty-fifty chance that you complete it. You know, find some high percentage throws that he is good at, he is comfortable with, that you rip all week until it's, uh, you know, there's no doubt it's going to connect. Um, because they've got to get that going. I mean, if you go back and watch some of the plays, like I would say the Wandell Robinson play, the touchdown, is sort of this offense, this Liam Cohen offense, um, optimized. Like that's yeah. what it, that's, that's the ideal, right? Yeah. I mean, they're going to take their shots down the field, but they want to have a bunch of plays where they get, these quick game-changing guys in space, and I think they think Utah McLean is one of them. He had a play that got blown up for a four-yard loss. I right, surprised everybody was in there so quickly. But that was that was a half step away on a block on a blocker out in front of him. That's right. From a, a huge crease for him to run a long way. Yeah, um, I agree. And so they're not quite there on the timing of that. But but you know those are the throws that everybody's got to get down. That Will's got to deliver on time and on target. You know what. Probably four of his interceptions have touched receivers' hands, yeah. and that's partly on them. But also, he's not put it, you know, in the best place to be caught. Um, those are the throws that you make that handful of throws in a game. You know, you yeah. get that quick yeah. screen out there in time. You know, you hit the guy in the hands, then he catches it instead of bouncing off in an interception. That kind of change everything about what you look like in the yeah. passing game. Kyle Tucker of the Athletic. Thank you, sir. Have a good day. See you Saturday night. See you, man. And we're back to wrap up this edition of the Leach Report served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. Thanks again to our guest today, Chris Fisher, Kyle Tucker, our producer, Shannon the Dude. And keep in mind now, Kyle's got the challenge out there that uh, next up for Will Levis should be eating an entire orange I would hope that he talks to the nutritionist at UK to make sure that's safe. But here's a guy drinking coffee with mayo in it. And by the way, on my show last night here in Lexington, I told my co-host Billy Rutledge, if Kentucky makes the SEC championship game, I will drink coffee with mayo. That is a promise. So long, everybody. Thanks for listening to The Leach Report. Make sure you check out the podcast page at Tom Leach.